Welcome to the Vincentian Heritage Podcast, a selection of readings on Vincentian history, spirituality, and praxis to help sustain the members of the Vincentian family in our shared efforts to live out the mission, vision, and values of St. Vincent de Paul. This episode's reading is entitled, St. Vincent's Mirror Imagery of Christ's Ministry, published in 2010 in Vincent de Paul, His Mind and His Manner. It is read by David Edward Sims. Vincent's fundamental vision of life embodies Jesus Christ as its center, and it was a theme that ran through every level of the life and activities of his congregation. The papal bull which established the company had an explicit obligation to honor daily and in a special way this mystery of the Trinity and of the Incarnation. Mysteries beyond words, he stated elsewhere. This orientation is exemplified in the basic document which specified the company's rule of life, his common rules and constitutions. Issued near the end of Vincent's life in 1658, the rule represented the lived spirit of the member's vocation to imitate Christ the Lord, so far as it is possible in view of its limitations and to imitate his virtues as well as what he did for the salvation of others. The resemblance, both real and symbolic, between Vincent's ministry and that of Jesus Christ is close and could account for the saint's effectiveness, especially in priestly formation. For this reason, it proves instructive to examine some of the parallels found in the methods of the Savior and the saint. In the spiritual formation of his members, Vincent must have felt a kinship with Jesus in initially preparing them for ministry. Both started fresh in the work of forming associates, feeling their way according to their respective visions. Even in the beginning of the church, Vincent asked, did Jesus not choose poor and unlearned rustics? and used them to overthrow idolatry and extend our holy religion throughout the whole world? The men who were Jesus' students were not always identified except as fishermen and a tax collector, but there must have been some variety in their grades of sophistication. The patience and restrained reaction Jesus occasionally displayed due to their slow comprehension certainly indicated not all were of the same degree of readiness. Vincent, too, had similar problems. In a rush of humility, he described his companions as persons who are poor in birth, science and virtue, the off-scourings and refuse of the world, if this handful of men could be called a company. The saint's subsequent experience belied that generalization of his candidates. Not all were of questionable abilities. His aspirants for membership and or priesthood were also men of normal promise, some already ordained. There were also the well-educated clerics who were Vincent's colleagues in other ministries such as the Tuesday Conferences a program that attracted bishops and other high ecclesiastic ministers seeking his instruction and counsel. Some of these colleagues even aided the missioners in conducting rural missions. 
Both Jesus and Vincent witnessed the positive consequences of their formational labors. However limited the social and academic qualifications of some of their disciples, both teachers could be proud of their product. The apostles, under the guidance of the Spirit, went on to be pillars of the church, and the disciples and friends of Vincent became the vanguard of renewed priestly formation and achievement of their own day for years ahead. The Gospels give evidence of the varied methods of communication Jesus used for his audience, both for the apostles destined for special instructions in ministry and for all else who heard him. He often used the mobile style of a teacher walking about, surrounded by his apostles. More formally, he once took an invitation to face a wider audience in the synagogue at Capernaum. Whatever the sources of the final discourse at the Last Supper, the evangelist John combined its parts into a long instruction. Besides these moments of explicit instruction, Jesus had other occasions for interchange with inquirers. He would consider these teachable moments. For example, responding to criticisms about his dining with tax collectors and sinners answering an inquiry about a lesson, or a critic's tricky question. A key occasion was Jesus' instructing the crowd on the promise of the Eucharist after feeding them the loaves and fishes. There were times when Jesus had to explain the meanings of his parables, or even to correct his men when they missed his points of instruction. As, for instance, when Peter resisted the notion that suffering was appropriate for Jesus' role as Messiah, or when Jesus corrected the mother of the sons of Zebedee, who sought privileged positions for her sons in the kingdom. It was only with the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost that some of Jesus' puzzling statements were clarified for them. Vincent, on the other hand, inherited a culture which already contained models of priestly education. His task was to fashion a community of apostles according to the style of mission and ministry he had in mind. That abundance of clerical formation is described by his biographer, Pierre Coste, Congregation of the Mission, or C.M., France had never perhaps seen such a galaxy of apostolic men. For example, Ollier, De Condren, Eudes. They had an acute comprehension of the needs of their time, and all, or almost all, clearly perceived that their first duty was to devote their efforts to the restoration of ecclesiastical order. The essence of that order, Vincent noted, was the commission given to the Messiah and described in St. Luke. Vincent assumed it in his own direction to respond to the action of the Spirit of the Lord, who is upon me, to bring glad tidings to the poor. In more specific directions for formation, the saint asked a seminary administrator to rely on instructions chiefly in the spiritual life, the practice of mental prayer, and the virtues. It is not enough to teach the chant, the rites, and a bit of moral theology. 
the main thing is to form them in a solid piety and devotion. For Jesus, the world was the field of ministry for his apostles to cover with his message. With inherent authority, he commanded them to go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to carry out everything I have commanded you, and, for assurance, know that I am with you always until the end of the world. Present structures would be formulated as the community under the guidance of the Spirit. Vincent, too, envisioned a wide horizon for the services of his community. His early focus was France, on the clergy and rural poor, but he responded as able to needs as they came to him. Under the rubric of benefiting the neighbor, he said, We must go where it will please God to send us, to the Indies or any other place even farther away, to further the empire of Jesus Christ. The saint asserted he should adopt this attitude even as old and decrepit as I am. This missionary thrust was fulfilled in Vincent's lifetime, when missionaries found their way to such foreign lands as Italy, Poland, England, Barbary, and even as far away as Madagascar. Jesus and Vincent relied on sources of vitality to sustain the vigor of their ministers. Jesus insisted that he was the sole and infallible source of authentic life for his followers, whether ministers or lay disciples. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who lives in me and I in him will produce abundantly, for apart from me you can do nothing. A man who does not live in me is like a withered, rejected branch, picked up to be thrown into the fire and burnt. Vincent, for his part, had no such infallible resources to offer. For authenticity, he insisted on fidelity to the founding principles, service to the poor, and education of the clergy. The core of his oath was an overarching desire to serve God. I pray to God two or three times a day to annihilate us if we are not useful to his glory. Would a missionary wish to live without pleasing God and procuring his greater glory? There is an interesting paradigm consisting of hand gestures that describes the ordinary ministerial functions of both Jesus and Vincent and highlights their commonality. It might indeed be called a show of hands. For instance, the position of Jesus' hands upraised would represent his lifelong prayer and worship of the Father. His hands reaching out from his sides would indicate the stretch of his arms on the cross, as well as the worldwide invitation bringing salvation to all people. One or both of his arms might be used to place around a person's shoulder in their need of sympathy or welcome. Another gesture depicts his hands outstretched, palms down, 
extended to give a blessing or healing touch in curing illness or forgiving sin. Lastly, there are his hands outstretched, palms up, recalling his feeding of the hungry, as he did in the desert, and especially his offer of bread and wine of the Eucharist to everyone. This paradigm of Jesus' hands can be seen to parallel the activities of St. Vincent's ministry. The first gesture of upraised hands might illustrate the saint's giving priority of honor and adoration to the Father in the Holy Trinity. It was a basic tenet of Vincent's belief, incorporated into the rule of life, that governed his congregation, the common rules and constitutions, to honor in a special way the Most Holy Trinity and the Incarnation, mysteries beyond words. With an embrace, his arms outstretched, open his heart in welcome to all in need, as well as indicate a sign of his union with Jesus on the cross. His hands outstretched, palms upward, express his lifelong concern for feeding the poor. The motion of his outstretched hand turned downward is a sign of the blessings and healing he conveyed to people. God's global intention of salvation for all is revealed in the commissions given to the apostles, according to Matthew, to make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. In the Acts of the Apostles, Luke describes Jesus' direction to fan out in his name. You are to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, yes, even to the ends of the earth. Vincent's mission was global, too, as he addressed his confreres. Our vocation, then, is not to go to one parish or even to one diocese, but throughout the whole world. And for what end? To inflame the hearts of men, to do what the Son of God did, to cast fire on the earth, to inflame it with his love. Out of this corporate call, there follows personal challenges. Now, if it be true that we are called to spread God's love in all directions, if we are bound to kindle it among the nations, it is your vocation to spread this divine fire throughout the world. If that is so, how should I myself not burn with the divine fire? Vincent's attention to that divine fire remained steady and constant to the end. His focus served to maintain the purity of his vision, so that, as he declared in the Common Rules, the members imitate Christ's virtues as well as what he did for the salvation of others. He asked them to mirror to the end Christ's actions as well as his virtues. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Incension Heritage Podcast. If you have any questions, please send them to mission.depaul at gmail.com. Be sure to check out all the other Vincentian family resources on our website, mission.depaul.edu.